All right. Turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. All right. Now this morning we talked about the apprehension of John, John the Baptist. And this evening we could entitle this message the, the apprehension of Abraham. Uh, but uh, we've called it the sin and the saint of God. And I want you to notice here as we look at this uh, particular chapter, chapter 20, and the context of the chapter, the verses that we have here, uh, portray a horrible failure in the life of one of God's choice servants. Uh, if you'll remember, Abraham's journey down in Egypt to Gen uh, was in Genesis chapter 12, and uh, you will notice some similarities between the events uh, of that chapter and then this one. Uh, it's never... Uh, it's never pleasant to see failure in the life of one of God's children, but I'm thankful that God didn't just sweep Abraham's uh, sin under the rug. I'm grateful that he saw fit to record the event in the pages of Scripture, and I'm grateful because, like Abraham, I struggle with sin, and sometimes I struggle with the same sins over and over, and as I'm sure you do as well. What we need in the midst of our struggle is some encouragement. And what we need is the blessed assurance that we have hope in the midst of our failures. Uh, this passage offers that hope to our hearts, I believe, this evening. And it may seem like the passage is filled with darkness and gloom and failure. But in reality, the passage is filled with hope and help for you and me. Now, I want to point out a few principles that are contained here to speak to your needs and my needs tonight as well. First of all, sin doesn't have an expiration date. Sin doesn't have an expiration date. And we see here, first of all, the struggle of life. The struggle of life. Notice verse 1 of chapter 20. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. Abraham is on the move again. <clears throat> Now, he heads southward about 60 miles, dwells between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourns in Gerar. Uh, this uh, uh, region was a fertile region, uh, had an access to, uh, access to um, adequate water supplies. Uh, the meaning of these three places, I think, uh, provides some interesting insights. Now, Kadesh, the word Kadesh means to be holy consecrated, purified, sanctified, prepared, or dedicated. All those uh, words help us understand what the name Kadesh means. Uh, we are present, uh, we are to present, excuse me, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And the question then comes uh, tonight, are we dedicated to the Lord and serving Him? Are you at Kadesh in your Christian life? Remember, the name means holy, consecrated, purified, sanctified, prepared, and dedicated. Now, unfortunately, for many Christians, they are spiritually located somewhere between Kadesh and Shur. Between uh, uh, dedication and independence of God in their life. Now, the word sure, the word uh, sure here means fornication or security. Uh, kind of uh, has a, a, a double meaning there. But it comes from a Hebrew root word, which means to turn or wander about, to stroll or to look around. 
And I think uh, by these definitions, we can say, well, this is where we get the idea of independence. You know, just kind of wandering around, uh, looking around, doing your own thing. And so some Christians are in Kadesh, some are in Shur, and some are in between. I think by that we, we, we understand uh, where Abraham was. How many times uh, do we turn from the Lord and look around for something better than the Lord wandering away from him? And sometimes our independent spirit can cre- create a big mess for us. Uh, and it's, uh, that's the way uh, many times it describes uh, many Christians' lives. Now, many believers have strayed uh, some small distance, some others farther away, and they're dwelling somewhere in between Kadesh and Shur. And this is what describes the spiritual condition of Abraham in this chapter. Abraham suffers from some spiritual defeats that happened earlier in his life. Uh, The the Bible says he sojourned to Gerar, which is a name which comes from a a Hebrew root word, ger, G-U-R, English spelling, meaning to to drag, to turn aside from uh, from the way, to fear or to tarry, to be a stranger. And what a description to what was happening here to Abraham at this particular time. Abraham turns from the honesty uh, back to deception in Gerar because he's a stranger and he fears the king of this region. Sarah is removed from his home and drug away, so to speak, uh, to be the bride of Abimelech. Now remember that Abraham is 100 years old when this takes place. And when uh, he did the same thing back in Genesis 12, he was just beginning to walk with the Lord. And so you could probably understand in his immature life as a, as a believer, uh, he would be, have some weakness. But here, uh, he should be at the height of maturity. Uh, notice also that this sin uh, that he has carried with him for many de- decades. We, we skip down to verse 13, and it tells us there, uh, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me. At the, every place, whether we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. So this is something he's uh, carried with him for many, many years. And so, uh, first of all, we find here the struggle of life. And secondly, uh, we go back to verse 2, and we see the shadow of the past. The shadow of the past. Verse 2, And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, drug her away. That's what the name uh, implies there. Uh, Gerar, the shadow of the past sin, surfaces again as Abraham deceives the king of Gerar concerning Sarah. He tells the king, well, she is his sister. Now that's a half-truth. She was his half-sister, but he failed to mention that she was also his wife. Evidently, and you remember now, Abraham's 100 years old, and Sarah's about 90. She must have still been a 
uh, an attractive woman, for the uh, king to uh, want her to uh, be, become his wife. The king must have had some uh, all the political considerations in mind as well, since Abraham was very powerful and wealthy. But uh, this was a situation that was became a tragedy, or could well become a tragedy. And on the threshold of Isaac's birth, the promise of God is put into jeopardy. Abraham, what in the world are you thinking? Didn't you learn your lesson about this years ago in Egypt? Do you not remember the rebuke of Pharaoh? See, sin has a way of making us forget the consequences of former sins. Sometimes we convince ourselves we won't get caught or we, uh, we won't have as much trouble this time. Uh, but Satan has found one of Abraham's weak points and he brings it to light in a time of testing and fear. Now what we, uh, are, what we are will be revealed in times of trouble and times of loss and persecution and disappointment and death. Circumstances bring to the surface what is buried in our hearts. They may reveal things about us that we do not even know about ourselves. But have you ever done something kind of in the heat of the moment and maybe a tense moment, and afterwards you ask yourself, where did that come from? Why did I do that? I think we've all had things like that happen to us. We say, why did I say that? I usually don't say things like that. I've had those times, and uh, it upsets me when I say dumb things, okay? Uh, and, and I do say, uh, believe it or not, I say some dumb things sometimes. Uh, and uh, especially if I say something dumb and it hurts someone. And, it, and I, I say, why in the world did I say that? Well, Abraham's fear has drained his reasoning. He becomes callous. He becomes irresponsible toward his wife, Sarah, and her needs and her feelings. And I wonder what was going on in her mind when she was, was given away by her husband to this king. Well, doesn't Abraham love me anymore? Doesn't he care about me? Uh, these thoughts surely must have crossed her mind. Uh, what was she thinking? What was he thinking? Abraham's arguments must have been very persuasive. But Abraham's deceptive dark side is no fun to look at because it teaches uh, great lessons on what not to do to people and how they can be hurt by our callous, cold-hearted actions sometimes. Abraham reasoned that his, uh, this deception would keep him safe and make things smooth when it made the situation actually more dangerous and more uh, complicated and harmful to others and to his reputation as a man. Little did he realize that he was laying a pattern of deception that would again surface with his own son, Isaac, and then his grandson, Jacob. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I believe for us the point is clear. There will never be a time when we're beyond failing. And so we need to avoid some of the mistakes that Abraham made. Uh, just let me point out three of them. He made three mistakes here. Uh, we need to never stop trusting God to take care of us. Never trust, uh, stop trusting God to take care of you. Now, why was Abraham there in the first place? Well, back in Genesis chapter 12, he went because of the famine. 
uh, because he hadn't believed God would take care of him. Uh, this time, we're not told why he went. But I, I guess we can uh, probably speculate here, and it's my opinion that he was getting away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, that's just taken place there in chapter 19. But he probably thought all the area would have been burnt up, and we come to, uh, to the place where we no longer trust the Lord to meet our needs and get us through the trials, then we head for disaster. So never stop trusting God to take care of you. Secondly, never put yourself in the place of temptation. Never put yourself in the place of temptation. Abraham had a fear that some man would kill him so he could have Sarah. That was his fear. Uh, When he felt this fear, he was inclined to lie just to save his hide, not believing that God would be able to take care of him. And only a fool subjects himself to temptation's lure and and believes that he will walk away unharmed. If you have a problem uh, in a given area, you would be foolish to place yourself in a position uh, to be tempted again. When temptation comes, you and I need to be like Joseph, and we need to run, we need to flee. So never put yourself in the place of temptation. Thirdly, never let down your guard. Never let down your guard. May we never come to think that we've arrived at a place where we cannot sin or we are free from temptation to commit a particular sin. As sure as you let down your guard, you're headed for trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. As long as you live in this flesh, you'll never be safe. So never stop trusting God to take care of you. Never put yourself in a place of temptation and never let your guard down. Sin doesn't have an expiration date. Secondly, sin cannot overcome grace. Sin cannot overcome grace. Even though Abraham is clearly out of God's will, at this time, he's still enjoying the blessings of God. Uh, now, we think, well, that, that kind of messes with my theology. But you know what? It's still true. Uh, you, think, you see, even when Abraham is in a place of his own choosing, he's not doing what God has asked him to do, but he's still being blessed by the Lord. Uh, notice the blessings that came his way. Uh, as we go down here, uh, we see that... Uh, God forgave him of his sins. Verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bear children. Uh, he protected him from harm. We go back to chapter, uh, verse 2, uh, and, it, and it says, And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took uh, Sarah, but God came to Abimelech, in a dream by night, and he said to him, Behold, thou art about a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he unto, not unto me, she is my sister, and she even she herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, and in the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, and I also withheld thee from sinning against thee. 
or against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, and for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all the servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? What, and what have, I, uh, ha, what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. He protected Abraham uh, from harm. And also down in verse 18 it says, The Lord had fast closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Uh, we notice he forgave him of his sins, he protected him from harm, but he blessed him financially. Look at verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and manservants and woman servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I give thy, uh, given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is uh, to thee a covering of eyes, the eyes unto all that are uh, with thee and with, and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So he blessed him financially, and then he used him uh, for his glory. By the way, do you think uh, Sarah said, hey, how about that $1,000? Can I have some of that to go shopping with? I don't know. Uh, you know, that thousand pieces of silver? Well, he blessed him financially, but he was still out of the will of God. He used him for his glory. And we saw that again in verse 17. Now, the same principle is witnessed in the life of Elijah over in 1 Kings chapter 18. So what does this teach us? Simply the truth that, uh, that uh, uh, though we are in Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, are, are in, we are, excuse me, even though we're uh, in sin, uh, Jesus cannot in, uh, invalidate uh, us, cannot be invalidated by our sin. We can't, uh, just because we sin, uh, we can't uh, uh, say that, well, uh, what Jesus did isn't, isn't good. And what it is, uh, we know that God chastens his children, uh, and yet many of us will testify to the truth that there are many times when we were miles away from the Lord and we still saw the blessing of God upon our lives. What is this? Well, it's nothing less than grace. It's the grace of God. You know, it's, it's the grace of God that I'm not in hell right now. It's by the grace of God that, that we're, even, we're even here. Uh, we deserve the worst punishment. But it's grace uh, of God that has given to us. And it reminds us that God deals with us on the basis of who we are rather than on the basis of what we do. I'm God's child. Now, certainly he chastens his children. And it doesn't give us a license to sin. But the redeemed sinner is going to want to serve the Lord and not rest until the things are right between him and the Lord. I believe this is true, that after a while God deals directly and complete with, with that sin that resides in a ch uh, his children's hearts. Thank God our sin is unable to separate us from the love that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor 
things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin doesn't have an expiration date, and uh, sin cannot be overcome or cannot overcome grace. Thirdly, sin cannot derail God's plan. Now, we remember that this is just about the time before uh, Isaac's going to be born. When Abraham left the promised land to enter Gerar, he was placing the plan of God in jeopardy. You see, God had promised to send the promised seed within a year. We see that back in Genesis chapter 18 uh, there. And Abraham showed very poor judgment here. If Abimelech had been allowed to go in unto Sarah, uh, it would have short-circuited God's plan. Of course, the scriptures tell us that God prevented anything from like that from happening. And so the first thing we see here is man's character. Go back to verse 5. Verse 5, said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she even herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this? And God said unto him in a dream, yes, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of your heart. Abimelech is pleading his case to the Lord. He says, "I've, I've got integrity here. I'm innocent of this, and it's his integrity that saved his life. And we should uh, uh, just think about this idea of integrity for a moment. And we see it used here twice in uh, this uh, passage, and so we, should, uh, we just should think about it for a, a moment. You know, we hear this word used a lot. I've heard it even on the news. Some of their... Our, uh, uh, politicians and our leaders have used this word integrity. Well, what does it mean? It means soundness, adherence to a code of values, utter sincerity, honesty, and candor. You see, integrity makes a man upright even when others are downright wrong. Integrity makes a man honest when others want him to be deceitful because he has a stubborn, steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code. Integrity compels a man to tell the truth, uh, to be trustworthy and to be faithful, even though others may lie and be undependable and unpredictable. You know, a man or a woman who has integrity has grit. They have guts or steel uh, for a backbone. Uh, People of integrity are not afraid to stand up for what is right, even when right may cause sorrow or sacrifice in their life. And so they're people of convictions. Integrity is a guide uh, for the life of the believer. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. I can't help but think of later in Genesis, we're going to study Joseph. And Joseph's integrity guided his life when he was tempted and taunted by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was entrusted with the affairs of Potiphar's house. He was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And the person of integrity fulfills obligations whether they are required of him or not. Whether anyone else is watching or not. No matter how much time has elapsed, the person with integrity fulfills his word, his promises. 
Proverbs 19 and verse 1 says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Proverbs 16 and verse 7 and 8 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 22 and verse 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. You know, it's ironic that uh, people will cheat or be, be dishonest because they feel they will not get uh, what they eventually uh, would, would want to have and, and what they do get doesn't usually satisfy them. But they, uh, our integrity is tested every day. Uh, there is no better test for our integrity than our behavior when we have made a mistake or when we've been wrong. Will we make the matter right or will we rationalize our wrong? And so the question is, do I have integrity? Do you have integrity? If not, why not? Christianity today is suffering an integrity crisis in the pulpit, in the pew. The testimony of Christ has been damaged by people who claim to be Christians but have no integrity. And those without Christ mock and jeer our sinful, hypocritical, inconsistent lives. Well, Abraham needed some integrity, and uh, he should have never deceived Abimelech, yet we find there are other times in his life when he did have integrity. Notice, secondly, God's restraint. There's another problem uh, here, uh, is, and that's the fact that Abraham is the sole representative of God Almighty. In verse 7, he says, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and sh- thou shalt live. And if, he, if thou restore her not, no Thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Uh, Abraham has been commissioned uh, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Instead of being a blessing and a witness, uh, Abraham's life could have been a hindrance to prevent Abimelech from coming to God. And yet in spite of Abraham's sin, God spoke to Abimelech and dealt with him anyway. Now I knew... I. I I realize here that God knew Abimelech was innocent of what happened with Sarah. He withheld him from sinning. And that word there, uh, when it talks about withhold or withheld, is a word that means to restrain, to refrain, to refuse, to hold back. God wasn't going to let Abraham's sin, his folly, uh, foul things up. God acts as a restrainer in our lives today as well in the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We are admonished to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit restrained Paul from preaching in Asia in Acts chapter 16. It's the Holy Spirit that holds us back from sin by giving us His power and strengthening the inner man. When we walk in the Spirit, we have victory over the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is the best restraint uh, to sin uh, in our life. So regardless of what we do, God's plan is going to be accomplished. I think for too long, preachers have tried to keep people of God in line by using fear tactics. And the saints have been told to live right or God won't bless you. He can't work and He can't save souls. Well, many have been told that they will be sent to hell by their lifestyles as well. And I don't want to... Uh, I just want to set the record straight on that this evening. You cannot hinder God doing His work. 
You cannot hinder God doing His work. Now you might miss out on a blessing of being a part of what He's going to do, but He's going to accomplish His work. He is going to accomplish His work. Another thing, you can't send anyone to hell. Men go to hell when they refuse to receive Christ as their Savior, and nothing you or I do can cause them to do that and prevent them from doing that. Somebody say, well, you know, if you, if you don't live for the Lord, you're going to send people to hell. No, I can't send anybody to hell. Only God can do that. That may not be what you've heard in your life, but I believe it's the truth. You know, the Calvinists would say, well, then we don't need to witness. If they're supposed to get saved, they'll get saved. No, our job is to warn them and to live right before them, but the decision they make in the end is going to be theirs and theirs alone. Ezekiel 3.18 says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest not a warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now, did you know that Abraham's sin should have shamed Abimelech? But there's no indication that he ever acknowledged it or repented of it. Much like many in our world today. But think about this. Abraham's sin was used as a testimony to the greatness of God. Abimelech would never have known that God was a God of mercy and grace for forgiveness and restoration if that old saint had never fallen into sin. But because he did, God was able to demonstrate his power through the forgiving and restoring, uh, by re- forgiving and restoring Abraham by grace. Now, that's not an excuse for sinning. It's just a reminder that our sin will not stop God from saving people. People need to know that our God is a God who saves and keeps through grace and not by works. So sin doesn't have an expiration date. Sin cannot overcome grace. Sin cannot derail God's plan. And then fourthly, sin wears the emperor's clothes. Sin wears the emperor's clothes. Remember that story about the emperor's new suit? Most of us have heard that sometime or another in our life. The story is basically about an emperor who liked very much to dress up in the finest uh, new clothes that were available. He was tricked into thinking that a couple of weavers could make him the finest clothes ever uh, with such high quality material that it was invisible uh, to a person who was unfit for his office and unpardonably stupid. And the emperor thought that he must have wonderful material, so he ordered that the weavers make him a new suit of clothes. Of course, you know that the story when the emperor put on the clothes and paraded around the city didn't have anything on at all. And he had been swindled by these unscrupulous weavers. Well, that's kind of a, a strange story, but it is really kind of sin. Sin is kind of like that. It attempts to camouflage itself, but it never realizes that the camouflage is flimsy and it's transparent. In fact, everyone can see through it except the sinner. When Abraham is confronted by his sin, we notice here he does not repent, but instead he offers his excuses. And here they are. They aren't much, but they're the same ones that people use today. Did you know that? Notice the excuses he made. First of all, he claimed that he acted out of fear. Go back to verse 11. 
Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. It wasn't fear that caused this terrible event. It was a lack of faith. He didn't believe that God could take care of him. He claimed that he acted out of fear. You know, and that's the same thing that people say today. Secondly, he twisted the facts. Verse 12, And yet, indeed, she is my sister, and she is the daughter of my father, and not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Yes, Sarah was his sister, but she was more than that. She was his wife. And then, thirdly, he hid behind his past failures. Verse 13, And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place where we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. He tells the king, This is the way we have always done it. Ever said that before? (laughs) This is the way we've always done it. We're not going to change. Abraham's response is being confronted as an attempt to hide behind some very flimsy excuses. Like the emperor in the emperor's new clothes, Abraham did not realize he was fully exposed. You see, when we sin and are found out, we always try to make excuses for our behavior. We either blame someone else or we'll blame the devil. The devil made me do it. Uh, We may try to pretend we didn't do anything wrong. What? What? What's wrong? We uh, plead ignorance. We may act like we see no wrong in our action. What's wrong with what I did? There wasn't anything wrong with that. A thousand ways we handle sin, but on the only one, there's only one way that will bring cleansing and restoration and blessing of God. Sin must be confessed. It must be dragged, kicking and screaming out into the open. It must be exposed for what it is. It's black, it's dirty, it's wicked, and that's God's way. Because it tells us in Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what excuses are you hiding your behavior behind this evening? Whether you know it or not, everyone sees it for what it is. You'll never get past it until you see yourself as God sees you and deal with it God's way. You know, we all battle sin, some more than others, but we all have a fight in this uh, nonetheless. The question is, who's winning the battle? Uh, You or your sins? If you want to be free, you can be. If you want to be a light in this world, you can be. If you want your life to be blessed and be a blessing, you can have that blessing and you can be a blessing. All it takes is for you doing what Abraham refused to do. Get before the Lord, face your sins for what they are, and if you do, the Lord will forgive you, will bless you, will restore you, and use you for His glory. I think that sounds pretty good, don't you? If you need that kind of help, it's available in the Lord Jesus. And I trust that uh, uh, that'll be the lesson that we take with us as we've looked at this passage tonight. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for...
your love and grace and mercy to us. And Lord, we do mess up. We do sin. And sometimes there are battles with sin that go on and on and on in our life and we keep excusing them and we keep keep, uh, uh, saying, well, this is the way I've always done it. But Lord, I pray that you'll convict us of the needs of our heart and, and help us to get things right with you if there is sin in our lives. We pray, Lord, that uh, we won't be like Abraham. Not this time. Lord, we know that Abraham was a man that you greatly used. And yet, Lord, he was a man. He was a sinner, like each one of us are. And we pray, Lord, that uh, is you have told us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us that we'll just do that. We'll agree with you about those sins and and we'll deal with them. And Lord, give us the help and the the power and the strength to overcome the temptation of staying in those sins and committing them over and over in our lives. Lord, bless the, the message to our hearts tonight. Help us to live for you in these coming days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.